Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 71, being recorded on Tuesday, February 21st, 2017. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Uh, It's been actually a break for us, Jason. We haven't recorded a fresh show in a little over 30 days because we did so many interviews at NRF that it has taken our audio team a while to get those out. So um, thanks to the audio team for, for all their hard work, and it's great to be back on the line with you. It is awesome to be back with you too. I feel uh, it, it's been very. I feel very detached that we haven't uh, had our weekly chat. So I'm I'm glad to be back on pace. I know. Well, after let's see, we probably had a good 72 hours hip to hip there. So I'm sure you needed some Jason alone time. Uh, yeah, I find most people that I'm with need more alone from Jason time. But but uh, I appreciate the thought nonetheless. Um, it, I had to uh, go on a Starbucks detox kind of thing after I'd spent three <laughs> days with you. It's like, I can't keep up with you. <laughs> I'm on exactly the pace on I was home. on there. Exactly. I don't know how you do it. It's amazing. Yeah, I wish I had more valuable skills, but but they are what they are. <laughs> uh, have you been uh, uh, had an opportunity to spend some time at home since NRF, Scott? Yeah, I've been a bit of a homebody. It's been kind of nice. The um, So let's see, just to bring everyone up to speed. So I moved to exec chairman at Channel Advisor a little over two years now, and that took a lot of travel off my plate, which has been good. Uh, still go to the bigger e-commerce shows, but ha- don't have to go to a lot of the financial shows that I was going to. So that's been good. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been, been kind of relaxing to be at home here. Very cool. Um, and I feel like you have another venture that that's uh, – on some pretty exciting traction uh, since we last ch- chatted. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's kind of interesting. It started as a little experiment in 2014. It's called Spiffy. Um, our URL is Get Spiffy. And I've been uh, listeners to this show, longtime listeners will know I'm kind of interested in this on demand economy, which is, you know, when you think on demand economy, you usually think Uber and whatnot. Um, but I think there's a lot of interesting home and work services. Uh, I had invested in car washes a long time ago, so was familiar with the industry and decided to launch an experiment around on demand car washing and detailing. And uh, it's kind of taken off, it's done really well. So we're in four cities now. And we're in three cities and um, just last week announced uh, uh, funding. So we raised a Series A of $5 million and we bought a competitor called uh, Squeegee. We bought their assets and they are in Los Angeles. So we're now in Raleigh, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and Los Angeles, California. So it's exciting to uh, be bi-coastal and running that and, and taking it to the next level. Um, and I've moved to CEO there, so I'm spending most of my my time there. Um, but still, know and love the folks at Channel Advisor. And of course, uh, doesn't change my plans on podcasting at all. Still uh, love to keep track of what's going on in the world of e-commerce. Uh, thank goodness for that, Scott. I'm super excited about the expansion to Los Angeles. Uh, as some loyal listeners will know, our number one listener, my mother, is uh, based in Los Angeles, and they just got uh, a huge torrential downpour. So I know my mom's car is going to need um, some tender loving care, and that that this could be my uh, my first gift to her. So hopefully, she's not listening yeah. right now. We oh yeah. So we will we will give Mama Goldberg a discount. We'll we'll help take care of of. Uh Mrs. Uh, Mama Retail Geek. I don't no, know no, what no, she no. Happy, no, happy, happy to pay full retail so that I can, I can, uh, I'll feel comfortable uh, sharing the customer experience afterwards. Okay, <laughs> you'll feel comfortable leaving us a one star on Yelp. Thanks, man. Exactly. No, I'm sure that would never happen. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we'll have to take care of her. It'll be good. Nice. Uh, well, I am jealous. I think I have been on the road every week since NRF. Yeah, I'm eager to hear. Tell us. Uh, you know, would love to hear all the details, but maybe hit some of the retail highlights on your your travails. Yeah, uh, no, the listeners don't care about some of the the uh, clients I visit, but um, had a couple trips that were that were pretty fun for me. Um, 
I spent about 10 years in the Pacific Northwest and uh, uh, had a couple trips to Seattle recently, so it's been kind of fun to get back to that part of the country. Um, and most relevantly to the listeners, it gave me an opportunity to go visit the Amazon Go store that we've, we've talked at great depth about on this show. Um, and uh, on the podcast, I can neither confirm nor deny um, that I snuck my way in. Um but suffice it to say that uh, I got uh, a very good firsthand um, view of, of the, the current store. And I have to say I was expecting it to be a little less um, production worthy than, than it actually was. So I, I definitely don't think this is a, a concept that's ready to scale um, and that we should expect to see in hundreds of stores in the in the very near future, but it also uh, worked a little better and was less fragile than I might have expected it to work. So um, that's kind of cool. And I think in the very near future, the store is going to open to the public. So I'm, I'm actually flying back to Seattle tomorrow. Um, and uh, if the store happens to open, then uh, I will certainly go back and visit it and uh, uh, take some video and do all that stuff for the listeners. That's awesome. I'm super jealous. You're uh, yeah, that's uh did you get a T-shirt or anything to kind of like mark the occasion? Uh, I did not. Um, and again, since I can't officially confirm I got in, I can't. I also can't do a review of the Amazon um, lunches that they make in the store. Um, so we'll have to hold that for another show. Uh, the store is adjacent to the the Amazon Biodome, the, this new corporate headquarters they're building, and the architecture for that looks really cool um, for those that for folks that haven't seen it and. Uh, Seattle just has some amazing food. So uh, although we won't talk about the Amazon food quite yet, I got to eat pretty well while visiting the Amazon Go store. Um, and then listeners may know that Amazon also has a bookstore uh, at a mall in Seattle. And so I, I have been to the bookstore a few times. I did make a trick back there to you know see if anything was new or evolved. Um, and I, I can't say that it was, but it was a great opportunity because there's another retail concept that I've been following called Beta, B-8-T-A. And uh, they they were uh, founded in Palo Alto. They have their first store just off of um, University down, down by the Stanford campus. Um, and they have opened a second store in the, uh, the University Mall in Seattle that also houses the Amazon Bookstore. So this is a kind of interesting technology store that's focused on selling um, – new cool technology concepts the kind of thing that you might sponsor on Kickstarter uh, a lot of drones and home automation and and uh, wearable fitness type devices um and what's unique about this store is this store is trying to create a marketplace out of a physical brick and mortar store so rather than selling first party product in the store the store is a very high tech store with with digital signage and and live demo for every product um, but but sellers rent individual shelves in the store and they merchandise the shelf themselves and they use the the store CMS to publish digital content and pricing information about their products um, and then the the sellers sell direct to the consumer so it's the the concept is it gives you a physical presence to demonstrate products that maybe are hard to sell without a live demonstration um, and it you know they they house a bunch of innovative novel products that you might not see at the local Best Buy store um, and so all in all pretty cool and this is their second store up in Seattle so that was a fun visit what was your favorite gadget in there that uh, we, we may not be aware of um, so you you already referenced that I may have a caffeine problem um, there's a couple internet connected uh, super espresso machines. Um, and so the ability, you know, right now, a real difficulty in my life is that, uh, if I'm in my home office, I have to walk all the way to my kitchen to pull three shots and the machine can only pull two at a time. So I have to pull two, go back, pull a third shot, and then I can make my, my ridiculous latte. Um, is there at least an Alexa skill to start that first double shot? There uh, is not because my, Ugh. you know, super antiquated, archaic three thousand dollar espresso machine um, is not connected. And of course, uh, there is now a, a connected model that would both give you an Alexa skill, but also, you know, give you the ability to from from a URL at your desk pull all three shots. And so, I feel like that could be a a significant uh, time saver for me. 
Yes. Yeah, sidebar: If anyone on the show's list is uh, interested in buying a antiquated, unconnected three thousand dollar espresso machine, call uh, Jason. Absolutely, gently used. Um, gently used. <laughs> only five thousand shots a week. Exactly. Uh, it's it's low volume for a store, but it's high volume for a single family residence. <laughs> um, and so that Seattle was a fun trip. Uh, the I also had a Toronto trip, and um, one of my favorite retailers. There's a sporting good retailer up there called Sports Check, um, and what I like about them, we we've talked a lot about um, the the need to have more digital experiences inside of physical stores, and so Sports Check has invented invested a lot in digital displays for their store that you know are more than just novelties. Um, and so they, they have some uh, their great use of holographic display technology to sort of de- demonstrate some products that are hard to demonstrate in the store. Um, it uh, Simple stuff, but some uh, custom jerseys on demand. So as you may know, Canada are uh, big fans of hockey. So you can, you know, get your Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. You can customize it in the, in the store with your own name. And then the, they'll actually fabricate the the Jersey on the spot in the, in the store while you wait. Um, I really like those models cause obviously returns go way down. Um, and the margins are much higher and they have a nice, uh, uh, digital experience to help you design and visualize the Jersey before you, you commit to it. So, so some cool retail in, uh, Toronto. Um, and then I had a week in New York. Uh, I, I, I feel like we previously covered all the main new retail stores in New York. Um, but Razorfish hosts a technology summit there every year. And so uh, the we, we have a bunch of sort of technical-oriented speakers. Um, this year, our, our theme was artificial intelligence, and we'll probably have to do a deep-dive show on uh, AI for commerce because it's such a, a vast and emerging emerging field. But, you know, we had all these big brain guys like the uh, uh, Scott Pembethry, the CTO at, at uh, uh, or one of the CTOs at Google that's responsible for artificial intelligence, the executive director of the NYC Media Lab, um, the the Watson CTO from IBM, um, and all these like guys are are um, doing these these really uh, deep dives into how fast artificial intelligence is evolving, all these interesting use cases. Um, and they're all like, you know, PhDs and stuff. And then they have uh, uh, me up there as sort of the palate cleanser. So I got to do a little uh, preaching, preaching the, the commerce implications of, of uh, artificial intelligence uh, at the Razorfish Summit. So that was fun. Cool. So give us the anything you haven't talked about on the show yet that uh, we should be aware of. I think there's a lot of stuff emerging that we're, we're going to have to have to spend some time in. But they're like very interesting being able to use analytics to predict things like the potential return rates of products. And so, um, you know, a lot more sophisticated than just basic personalization and recommendations to, to really uh, um, optimize each interaction, both from a, a, a customer experience standpoint, but also a profitability standpoint for the, the retailer. There's a ton of uh, artificial intelligence using computer vision to improve the in-store experience. So using cameras to do inventory on products and uh, uh, do what's called merchandising compliance, which is make sure the displays are set up the way the store wants and these kinds of things. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's a, a, a ton of evolution in uh, both personalization, recommendation, and uh, intelligent agents providing advice and customer service. So uh, lo- lots of stuff uh, on the horizon. Um, artificial intelligence is absolutely going to be a, a huge disruptive force uh, in the next several years. If, if uh, I had one big takeaway from, from this show, it's that the, the rate of change and improvement um, – is is almost hard to get your brain around, um, and so it's I think very difficult for us to sit here and envision how profound uh, experiences will be uh, impacted three years from now by by some of this technology. Cool. Do you worry about? Uh, did you come away worrying about robot overlords, or you you feel okay? Uh, I've made peace with it. I think it's definitely happening. It's kind of outside the the scope of our show, but like it seems very clear um, that automation is going to eliminate a lot of the traditional jobs that we're all all used to uh, in the industrialized world. And so that you know, 
another big uh, big problem for the big brains to solve is what the world looks like when when uh, we don't we don't need human labor for a bunch of these things that we rely on it for today. Yeah, and, and I would argue nothing is outside the scope of this show because it's our show. We can talk whatever we want. So that's uh, <laughs> I, I think we can frame any problems. It's outside of our uh, intellectual capability to solve. <laughs> oh, come on! Speak for yourself. If we had a couple beers, I feel like we could solve this thing. Absolutely. All right. Well, it's a date. We'll we'll make it happen. We'll do a deep dive on AI and robot overlords and see exactly. how it goes. So, Scott, question for you. What are the odds that in, like, five weeks of not talking to us that there could be any new Amazon news? Those odds are very high, Jason, because it wouldn't be a Jason Scott show without some Amazon news. So, uh, Amazon had their earnings for the fourth quarter, so that was good. And the – let's see. Let me pull up my little cheat sheet here. Uh, so Amazon's total revenue for the quarter grew 24%. So just as a baseline, uh, Comscore and the usual suspects are coming in and saying e-commerce grew about 15% for the fourth quarter. So that's the baseline and has been for, for quite a while, but that, that kind of continues to be the baseline. So Amazon overall revenue wise grew 24%, uh, EGM, which is the part that I watched the most closely. So you have media, EGM and other EGM, uh, grew 26%, uh, 25% of that North America, 28% international when you take out the effects of currency. So, you know, the big piece of Amazon that most people compete with is still growing twice the rate of e-commerce. Um, some of the, the interior numbers were interesting. Uh, you know, Amazon, um, they have always historically given you one number, which is the percent of items from 3P. That hit a high watermark in the third quarter, and it ticked down a little bit, um, which is kind of interesting, to 49%. Not a, not a huge change, but kind of, you know, I think what happened is, uh, reading the tea leaves, that Amazon's devices and things are so popular now that it's it's maybe starting to slow down 3P a little bit because uh, they're, you know, we saw through the holiday, um, just kind of anecdotally, Amazon was really pushing. Uh, Echo was a big leader and all of the families there and then uh, a lot of the other you know the the fire uh, the tablets and whatnot um paid unit growth grew 24 percent, so uh that was pretty strong and also way ahead of e-commerce uh the you know the the thing that i think that bumped wall street out it's all about expectations and amazon came in kind of a little bit north of the midpoint of expectations they didn't blow them away and and i think walmart wall street was a little like meh um but you know i i kind of I don't look at that, and I kind of think about that 15%. And when you're Amazon size, so for the quarter, they their revenue, not GMV, was $43 billion. Um, you know, I think that we've talked about it on the show, uh, the actual GMV was like $90 billion. So so they're growing that $90 billion a quarter, which is a run rate of, what is that, uh, $360 billion, um, you know, at 24%. That That's just, you know, incredible that, you know, they are not really slowing down or anything like that. I, I would say... They probably could have grown even faster if they had more capacity. It seems like I hear anecdotally from customers and things that the fulfillment centers are just busting at the seams, even though they've done all these things to, to you know, qualify the products that are in there and um, make sure they're fast sellers and those kinds of things. Um, you know, FBA where Amazon does the fulfillment is is quite popular because of the prime eligibility. Um, and uh, for example, they reported that they hit a, hoot, a new high watermark there. Fifty-five percent of uh, the units were were FBA, um, so so that's interesting. Um, and then it was kind of interesting after they reported. You have to, as a public company, after a period of time, I think it's sixty days, you have to file this kind of annual report, which is called a ten K in the SEC parlance. Um, and uh, it was kind of a bombshell because Amazon had a bunch of new disclosures in there, which which have been really fascinating. Uh, I've been reading the kind of parsing the numbers on Amazon for a long time and trying to pick out what's 1P, 3P, uh, and how big is Prime. And they've actually given you enough to get really close there. Um, still not 100% disclosures, but they have uh, they had something called retail subscriptions, which is effectively Prime and a little bit of other things, um, but it's mostly Prime. So so you can take those numbers and you know what, what it looks like is if you put a kind of a range on it, Amazon has between 50 and 70 million Prime subscribers. The general consensus with Wall Street and a lot of the other folks that, that survey this stuff is uh, about 60 million Prime subscribers. So, so that's interesting. It's the first time you know there's been a lot of estimates out there. Some have been higher than this. Some have been quite a bit lower. Uh, so it's 
pretty fascinating they at least put a bounds on it and i think everyone's kind of guessing around 60 million when you when you kind of parse through there um for the year first party grew 19 percent uh, again these are new disclosures that they have uh and then third party grew 43 percent. so so we've the numbers that i come up with in report have shown this for a while but it's just good and reassuring to show that amazon is doing it too uh and um you know third party is accelerating pretty materially uh, i talked about fba uh there's this one one fun chart that uh that amazon had in their results date when they do their quarterly results they also do some charts uh and one of them it was like two bar charts and one of them had you know last year fba you Units one billion. This year, FBA units two billion. <laughs> it was just kind of like a funny, like two bar chart that kind of was like you know, a very poignant set one one data point that was pretty poignant. So um, you can imagine that put a lot of strain on the fulfillment system that they have there. Uh, another interesting tidbit is, uh, and the press is starting to pick up on this. You know, Amazon has a, a really rapidly growing ad business, uh, and the bulk of it is inside Amazon. So, so you know, targeting ads that are intra Amazon, for lack of a better word. Um, in the third party world, you can do sponsored products, which is kind of the, the premier vehicle for buying advertising. Uh, but what we're seeing is a lot of brands in the first party world. There's several systems that you can go in there, and you can you can spend as much money as you would like at Amazon to promote your products in a variety of different ways, buy special pages, um, get better data, uh, all kinds of things. And, and we're going to want to, we're going to cover some of these on the show down the road because we do have a lot of folks interested in this, this world. Um, but that, that line of business is now $3 billion and it grew 73%. So, you know, that's starting to get pretty interesting. Um, and it certainly doesn't put them up into the Google Facebook stratosphere where those guys are. But when you start to think about all this data that Amazon has, a lot of people kind of think that if Amazon unleash this in more of an extra Amazon kind of way or outside of Amazon, you know, imagine you could use Amazon informed ad targeting. This kind of gets more into your world of, of ads uh, that 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 could be a huge it could be like another billion dollar business for Amazon. Uh, well, it already is. But, you know, it could be another like really monster business for those guys. Um, you had pointed this out, but there was a, an interesting disclosure that they have 2.4 billion in unclaimed gift cards kind of hanging out there. Um, it's unclear. You know, I don't know what life they put on those. Maybe do you, did you see anything like the life? Is that like for all of time or is it kind of like a 365 kind of thing? No. So I think that's like current liability. And there's there's some uh, uh, legal requirements about how long they can they can keep the value on those cards. Like if they ever expire those cards, they don't get to keep the money. They actually have to... Uh, disperse it to the municipalities where the money came from. So, um, so most of the time, these gift cards now have like are are, uh, are, are do do not expire. Um, yeah. But but I look at that and I just go, man, they're they're holding two point four billion dollars of consumers' money. That makes them like a pretty good sized regional bank on top of everything else they do. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't count. You know, I think they have a fair amount of float that they have just in general. Um, shipping costs did go up uh, 40% year over year. Um, there's been a lot of kind of doomsday scenario stuff around this. I've seen some really weird kind of almost fake news around this one that, you know, Amazon's shipping losses. They call their cost losses. Um, and that's not really fair because they're not taking the revenue they make from Prime against that. Um, so what you really need to do is look at the net shipping. Um, and it's growing and, and whatnot. But you know the the number of shipments against it and the GMV denominator is so big that like on a per unit basis is actually going down if that makes sense. Um, so you have to really kind of uh, it, it's really easy to take this shipping stuff and tell a story that's not entirely true. Uh, I would argue. Uh, I guess it's all in how you you want to tell the story. But uh, you know my takeaway from the shipping stuff is. Amazon is giving away a lot of two-day, um, you know, shipping, uh, and more items are going through it. I think that's all a positive because it's just just creating this huge lock-in, and they're driving down the unit cost. Um, the total dollars will go up, uh, and you know they're they're just delivering a lot of value against that Prime subscription. So, um, yeah, I think they will continue to drive down that unit cost as they take over more of the supply chain. The other thing I thought was interesting, just kind of as an entrepreneurial person, um, you know, I can't even wrap my head around this. So Amazon crossed over 300,000 employees um, in the fourth quarter. So um, now that, that'll dip a little bit because some of those are seasonal. Um, that may be FTEs. I think that's actually FTEs. So it, it, it may actually sustain. Uh, and then in the 
towards um, since I don't think we've talked about this on the show, but they've announced, you know, they're adding another hundred thousand jobs in North America this year. Uh, and then they just announced yesterday they're going to you know accelerate hiring in Europe as well. Um, some of that it's hard to tell if it's kind of a little political kind of a thing because, you know, they, they love to talk about job creation and it helps them with their their deals that they get with various municipalities for tax breaks and things. Um, but, you know, if you read them at surface level, it just feels like Amazon is really leaning into building more fulfillment centers, staffing them with humans and just continuing to grow. And, you know, 400,000 people could be what we're talking about in the next 18 months, which is uh, just crazy, like the scale that they're of what they're building. Any Amazon news you want to hit on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you covered a, a bunch of it, but there were some other fun things. Um because there's still a few businesses left in the U.S. that Amazon isn't in. Um, Amazon uh, launched a video conferencing service this month called Chime. Um, and like on the surface, you go like, man, that makes that doesn't seem synergistic with any of the other things that Amazon does. Uh, but, you know, as uh, fascinating, uh, fascinated followers of all things Amazon um where you know, I, I certainly uh, subscribed and and uh, quickly started uh, trying their their video conference service, and I, I think the main thing is that it's leveraging uh, the AWS infrastructure, um, and uh, they they apparently see see uh, an opportunity in the video conferencing space. Yeah, it almost felt like an internal tool that they liked that they thought they would share. Almost, it almost kind of had like a dev project kind of a feel to it. Yeah, um, and I would say at the moment it feels slightly biased towards very large meetings. Um, so the you know you you can use it uh, for free and do like one on one video conferences and one on one chats, um, but uh, you you will have to pay for a, a nominal subscription if you want to do the like one to many um, uh, meetings with like share yeah, screen sharing and video and those sorts of things. Um, but another service that they launched that I haven't heard a lot of chat about, but seems like a, a, a potential game changer to me is that they have now launched an in-home uh, smart home consultation service. And so this is a full-time Amazon employee that shows up at your house um, and, you know, does an interview with you about, you know, all the things you aspire to to be able to do in your home in terms of home automation uh, and then puts together a, a prescription and will help you buy uh, uh, products to achieve your goals. Hmm. And so to me, that's a big deal because that's a, you know, uh, we, we historically, we've talked about one of the ways to compete with Amazon is on service that, you know, that, that uh, they're, they're very good at selling products, but they um, haven't tried to sell services as much. Um, and when they have, they're really been an aggregator of third party services. Um, but so this is a clear example of them building out a first party uh, direct to consumer service. And frankly, when they first launched it, I assume it would be some kind of you know, online consultation or telepresence thing. And so, you know, I was pretty surprised to see that it's actually like dudes in vans driving to your house um, and giving you advice about what, what Alexa skills to add and, you know, uh, uh, Philips Hue and all, all these various technologies. And they, you know, they certainly seem like they're tackling a real problem in that, you know, there are all these disparate home automation products and the average consumer has a hard time knowing what to buy and how to integrate them to, to get a good customer experience out of that. So I definitely think they've identified a, a, a potentially very large market category that, that requires service that, that you know, doesn't completely exist today. So that'll be interesting to follow. How long does the Amazon person stay with you? Like for a couple of weeks, so you, you put them up in the guest room and... Uh, I'm sure for you that would be the case, but for us mere mortals, they, it's, I think it's just a one-hour consultation. Uh, okay. Bummer. It is. Um, so one of the funny ones that came out will, uh, is uh, that the, I think the New York Post ran an article about yet another Amazon store format that was in the works. And the marquee thing of this format was that it was completely robotic and that less than three people ran the whole store and that everything was automated. Um, and uh, this was in addition to the store formats we've talked a lot about on this store. So obviously they have the Amazon Go um, 
prototype, which is the just walk out technology and the, the no checkout required. Um, we've talked a little bit about the Como prototype, which is uh, we all think a, a grocery store and, and potentially a buying line pickup in store um, grocery experience uh, that's under construction in Seattle. So this this New York Post article was talking about yet another concept for this automated store. And what what jumped out at me about this store is how quickly Jeff Bezos personally denied it. So, you know, I think Jeff has done about like eight or nine tweets in his life. And uh, uh, one of those tweets was refuting the New York Post article. And I think he did it in pretty strong terms. Like he may have implied that he wasn't sure what drugs the the New York Post uh, writer was on, but that uh, but that that was not a store that Amazon was working on. Yeah, and the story said that this uh, it was a grocery store, that the robotic grocery store will have over 20% margins. So in his, his tweet, he said, by the way, if anyone can figure out how to make 20% margins on groceries, call me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of showed how kind of out of touch the, the article was with the reality of retail. Yeah, it, it definitely does seem like that in this case, they're, that, uh, they, they probably got it wrong. Um, but who knows? Maybe we'll, uh, there's a grain of truth in there that we'll see in some future concept down the road. Um, the most fun thing for me last month is, uh, during the Super Bowl, there was a Amazon Echo ad, which is not surprising to your point, you know, that that's been a heavily promoted product, uh, in the, uh, at Amazon. But what was super cool that listeners might've noticed is that there was a Amazon prime air cameo in the ad. So they, they actually had a drone delivering a product in the echo uh, ad and, uh, I think that, at the very least, is uh, Amazon reminding the rest of the world that that's still a significant initiative that that they're pursuing. Awesome. I somehow missed that one. I don't, I don't know what was going on there. I'm going to send you a YouTube link to the commercial so you can watch it over and over again. Um, it did not look like a dramatically different drone than the, the latest generation that they've shown in their concepts before. Um, I don't know if we've talked about it on this show, but but in the last couple of months, like 7-Eleven actually did a pilot where they were delivering um, Slurpees in Las Vegas via drone. Um, mm-hmm. And the new thing now we're starting to see is there's a couple pilot. I think Postmates um, is doing a pilot in Palo Alto and Washington, D.C. of these um, ground-based drones delivering goods. So these like robots that, that drive to someone's house and deliver the goods. Yeah, yeah it all looks cool. Yeah. Um, the, I think there was a comment from the Amazon CFO talking about the bookstores and he kind of conceded that the bookstores are, are really more about merchandising and selling the devices than books, which is something we've, we've talked about and theorized on, on this show. And they're, they're continuing to open new bookstores. Um, and it makes perfect sense that those are primarily for driving devices. Uh, the, Scott, I think there was some some more news about Amazon's own uh, investment in the transportation hub, right? Like, aren't they building a huge facility? Yeah, they're spending um, over one and a half billion dollars to have a second air hub. Um, and it's going to be, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to it, but UPS has a really big hub called World Ship or World Port, I think it's called, World Port in Louisville. Uh, and this is going to, has the potential, the land they're buying and the scale of the investment has the potential to be bigger than that. So there's this constant drumbeat of, we've talked a lot about on the show of, you know, Amazon taking over more and more of the logistics chain. And the way I think about it is they've got, you know, well over 120 fulfillment centers out there. And that's kind of like an edge network. So that gets product close to the consumer, but sometimes that product uh, may be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that makes it hard to deliver it in two days. So let's say there's a product in Chicago, and they need to get that to Florida. Um, the best thing is, you know, uh, you, you you could go right from Chicago to Florida, but that's super expensive if you think about all 102 stores connecting directly to each other. So then what they've done is they've overlaid one hub, and this would be the second hub on top of that that network, so that your your Chicago item that is needed by someone in Florida would go to the hub in day one, and then day two it would be down there and ready for kind of next day. So so kind of like a FedEx UPS model, they're building on top of their fulfillment center model, um, and you know this continues to. Uh, I've been in this camp for quite a while to to you know make people believe Amazon has more and more potential to compete in a direct way with UPS and FedEx, and I I think I think you know. 
those days are, are coming sooner rather than later. Uh, there's also within this kind of um, topic, there's a lot of disclosures now that Amazon is starting to manage a fair amount of seagoing vessels and and the cargo uh, containers that are on them for China commerce. Uh, so so importing things from China to the U.S. Uh, and Amazon is streamlining that and and making it easy for that to come in bulk on on ocean-going vessels and then be stored in fulfillment by Amazon for fulfillment to U.S. customers. Um, so um, that's called uh, Dragon Boat, and there now some reporters have kind of dug up where that's that's actually a, a thing and is real, and there seems to be a fair amount of activity there. Um, they've already announced uh, a fair number of fulfillment centers. I think it's like eight at this point already this year, which is pretty amazing considering we're in mid-February. Uh, so, you know, there is no slowdown on fulfillment centers. Wall Street, uh, you know, continues to be kind of worried about the level of investment. Um, but if you believe that, you know, this logistics piece is important for e-commerce and is a strategic advantage, Amazon is so far ahead of everyone else, it's pretty mind-blowing. So, um that's probably a good segue into the other retail giant that there's been a lot of news on, Walmart. Um, Jason, do you have any highlights of what's going on at Walmart for listeners? Yeah, there, there actually was a bunch of interesting news there. Um, first of all, one of the things that sort of directly impacts uh, Amazon Walmart had been talking for a while about this um, shipping pass service that they were going to launch, which kind of felt like frankly, their lame version of a, a prime um, uh, competitor. So it was going to be like $49 a year for free two-day shipping, um, and which is, you know, uh, on the surface, half the pros- cost of prime, although, of course, prime ad- adds a lot of other benefits that, that Walmart didn't have. Um, so this uh, uh, last month, they made a big announcement um, that they were retiring the shipping pass and that on a go-forward basis, all shipping from uh, Walmart uh, for over $35 in, uh, in spend would be free two-day shipping. So essentially, uh, Amazon said, like, hey, forget the whole club membership, or Walmart said, forget the whole uh, have to be a member to get the good shipping deal. We're giving all our customers two-day shipping. That's the new normal is you don't pay for shipping and you get your goods in two days. Um, and what was mildly interesting and what has to be a, at least a small moral victory for, for Walmart, that was a $35 uh, threshold. And shortly after that announcement, Amazon also lowered its free shipping threshold for non-prime members to $35. So, um, you know, these days you have to take your wins where you can get them. Uh, it kind of seems like like Walmart actually forced a little customer-centric uh, adjustment on the part of Amazon, which is fun to think about. Yeah. Um, the, the other big news, they, they did their, uh, earnings report and, you know, of course, e-commerce was the huge growth driver there. Um, their e-commerce grew 29%. Um, depending on how you count, Walmart's the second or third largest e-commerce site in the U.S. Um, and so to be growing at that rate is, is, uh, pretty impressive. And so then, you know, you think about the, the Amazons and Walmarts of the world growing at, at that kind of scale, um, if the industry average is fifteen percent, that that's actually not leaving a lot of growth for a lot of the the smaller smaller players in the in the the ecosystem. So you know there there definitely feels like there's some uh, e commerce uh, customer cons- uh, cons- uh, consolidation at the at the uh, for these really big retailers. Mm-hmm. Did they buy? They bought Shoebuy as well, right? They Recently. did. Uh, so that was maybe like. I guess bought by Jet.com after Walmart had announced they were buying Jet, but before the transaction was finalized. Um, And so Shoebuy is a sort of Zappos competitor, a pure play um, shoe retailer online. And then this month they bought one of my favorite retailers. They bought a great outdoor apparel retailer called Moose Jaw Mountaineering. Um, and that's another interesting site. That's sort of a uh, you you could sort of think of it as like an REI um, type store based out of uh, uh, Detroit, Michigan. They have like ten stores, um, but you know a, a, a decent uh, e-commerce business is probably in the sixty to one hundred million dollars a year in e-commerce revenue. Um, and so it it kind of looks like like one of the Walmart strategies might be, you know, sort of taking a page out of the Amazon Quidzy model um, that they're, they're buying up uh, these, these, uh, you know, 
in individual um, vertical e-commerce sites that are good in one particular category, um, you know, where they where where Walmart can get a good deal on some some top line revenue in e-commerce. Um, one of the other plays on, on Moose Jaw in particular, Moose Jaw gets to sell a lot of the premium apparel in the outdoor space that, that Walmart would like to sell. So Moose Jaw sells, um, Canadian Goose and North Face and Patagonia. Um, and, uh, those are brands that would probably make a conscious decision not to sell through Walmart. So now Walmart owns a retailer that, that, uh, can sell those goods. Walmart has 90 million e-commerce visitors a month. So, you know, if they have some way to send some of those visitors to Moose Jaw to buy some of those apparel lines they can't sell, that that could, you know, potentially be a, a, a significant revenue opportunity for Walmart as well. Um, and then a couple other bits of news. Uh, Walmart has opened a new convenience store concept. So they've, they've had a few concepts that they've they've tried and closed before, but this is another... Um, sort of next generation convenience store with gas. And so it's interesting to see them continuing to invest in new store formats. Um, and then there was some sort of interesting news that came out talking about them, uh, breaking down the silos and in particular integrating, um, the, the merchant organizations of Walmart and Walmart.com. So instead of having a, a, a store buyer in Bentonville and a, a e-commerce buyer in San Bruno, that you'd have one buying organization that buys for the whole enterprise. And a lot of people were jumping on that bandwagon and talking about what a good move that was for Walmart. And then a Walmart spokesperson had to come out and, and say, uh, and sort of correct that article and say, we're actually not consolidating, um, to that level, but that we're starting to have more collaboration and integration between those two buying organizations. So that was maybe a, a little bit of a, uh, for those of us that believe in the omni-channel promise, that was maybe a, a slightly disappointing step back that Walmart had to make. Yeah, there was one funny comment um, from an unattributed brand that said, "Yeah, we're tired of you know Bentonville ordering five million cases and the online guy guys ordering 50. <laughs> it was like it was like this huge. It was almost kind of like this throwing shade at the e-commerce for just like not really buying as much as as the stores. It's funny. Yeah, and I, I do think a lot of Walmart's traditional vendors do look at it like that. That like, hey, we fly to Bentonville to sell all these goods, and that relationship is super important to us. And then the relationship we're forced to have with the digital team out in California is is sort of a unfortunate annoyance. And uh, like, obviously, you and I know. That that's an incredibly short-sighted view for those vendors, and that you know all the growth, uh, including at places like Walmart, is is coming from those digital initiatives. And the fact that you know Walmart stores are 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 you know growing at zero to three percent, and e-commerce is growing at thirty percent, um, you know you you ought to be thinking about uh, fostering a pretty good relationship with those digital merchants. Yeah. Um, so outside of Amazon and Walmart, there were some other, uh, interesting news. Uh, we've talked a lot of bit, a lot about fulfillment. Um, and, and you certainly highlighted that Amazon's continuing to make huge investments in fulfillment, which is probably bad news for the FedEx and UPSs of the world. Um, FedEx, uh, tried to take a little shot back. Uh, they announced a new service offering, which is essentially, FedEx's version of fulfillment by Amazon. So um, essentially, FedEx is is acting as a a three PL, a third party logistics provider. Um, you you ship your goods to FedEx, um, and they'll do all the management to decide which of the FedEx warehouses they put those goods in, and then they'll take responsibility for delivering those goods from that 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 warehouse to the consumer. Um, when when you get an order, and so what's what's maybe unique about this FedEx offering from previous third party logistics provider is that FedEx is proposing a um, a, a multi tiered model similar to Amazon, where the goods are stored in multiple warehouses, and FedEx gets to optimize how close those warehouses are to the the consumers, um, and they're probably looking at that that seventy plus percent growth that the Amazon is having in fulfillment. And saying, man, you know, we we ought to be in that space too. And so they they launched a new offering there. Yeah, that's interesting because um, you know we're starting to hear some grumblings about FBA. So so one of the neat features about FBA is that you can sell both on and off Amazon. Uh, and I, I don't know if there's like some official announcement, but several 
sellers I've talked to have said that Amazon has asked them to stop doing the the non-Amazon stuff. Um, so that's interesting. Um, for those that are still doing it, as Amazon delivers more packages, they give you this, this tracking number. Um, and let's say you sell something on eBay and you ship it with FBA. Now you get this tracking number that that you know an increasing percent of the time is actually direct delivered by Amazon and it's untrackable anywhere else. So um, you know as Amazon FBA gets deeper and deeper kind of into almost Amazon exclusivity, I think there is this opportunity for kind of an independent third party. So uh, and obviously FedEx knows what they're doing when it comes to logistics. So it's going to be interesting to watch that one. Yeah, and I, I guess I I have uh, mixed feelings about its prospects. Um, I, I certainly agree with you. I feel like Amazon just has a capacity problem, right? And FBA is so popular and so successful that they're having uh, to to constrain FBA because even with those 120 fulfillment centers, um, they they don't have unlimited capacity. And so, to your point, like they're they're really focusing on sellers that are selling on the Amazon platform, and they're they're forcing sellers to have faster turns, and they're just getting more picky about what what products they'll take FBA for. And so that creates a void. And I think FedEx is smart to be fulfilling that void. Um, I think the, the limiting factor for a FedEx offering though is, you know, the, the primary reason that all those folks want to use fulfillment by Amazon is not because Amazon's a great fulfillment partner, although they are. Um, it's because that gets your, your product flagged as free two day shipping on the, on the Amazon website. And, you know, for, for many products, that's the only way to successfully sell your product. And so that's, you know, certainly an advantage that you get by, by using Amazon FBA that you're not going to get by using the, this new FedEx offering. So I think it, it, it solves a problem that some folks have right now, but I, I'm not sure it's a enormous problem that's going to continue to grow. Yeah, and you almost kind of wonder, like, if, if like, I, I agree with your logic, and if you follow it through to its conclusion, does FedEx try to get kind of a bunch of retailers on board with, you know, a network that's kind of like Prime and kind of like ShopRunner has done? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they if they just stay in that slice of, of logistics or if they kind of try to tie it to the demand side of the equation or not. No, I'm totally with you. And maybe we proposed a business solution for, for folks out there, but the combination of a great FBA offering from from uh, Amazon, from FedEx if they were able to partner with someone like ShopRunner and really scale it, that that could definitely be something that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, other little pieces of news we saw from our friends at Internet Retailer that um, e-commerce accounted for 42% of all retail growth last year. Um, so again, you know, you get a lot of the, the naysayers talking about E-commerce sales are only 10% of, of all sales and, you know, gosh, you know, physical stores are super important. And and I certainly believe that physical stores are super important. But the the, the fact that that 42% of the growth is digital, I think, is the bigger story than the fact that that it, you know, accounts for 10 to 15% of the sales. Um, it, you know, ab- absolutely e-commerce has become mission critical to every retailer, whether you're a pure play or omni-channel retailer. And, uh, you know, frankly, I'm getting a little tired of, of, of talking to folks that, that try to de-emphasize the digital. Hmm. Yep. The, um, in other news, we saw Google Home. So you and I, uh, do you have a Google Home or you just played with one at the store that one time? I do not have a Google Home right now. And I have some dear friends at Google that are going to be very upset with me. So I'll probably have to fix that. Oh, okay. Well, for those Thanks friends, for I have me. one. Thanks, Sorry, I Bobby. Just let the record show that Scott has a Google Home. Okay, Google. The uh, so I have a Google Home, and I have not had a chance to try this, but they added commerce, so uh, that's pretty interesting. And the way it works is they use effectively Google Express, which is their you know their Prime Now like competitor. Um, the only trick is, and I, I haven't seen any arc on how they solve this. Google Express is very store centric. So when you're in Google Express, you go into the Costco store or the Toys R Us store or whatnot. Um, so it's not clear to me how, you know, it seems like a very long kind of complicated way to order things to kind of say, okay, I want to order now from this store, or this thing, and then this store, or this thing. So, um, you know, all the press has kind of talked about just kind of generally that it works that way. Uh, and they said more retailers are coming soon. But that that's kind of the challenge in this multi-retail model uh, that Google is going to go with versus the Amazon, which is Amazon's obviously the retailer. And you can get to other retailers through skills. Um, 
not sure if it's going to be super convenient or not. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they improve the user experience on that one. Yeah, and this is one of those uh, uh, sort of similar to the fulfillment thing. Um, there, you can both see the opportunity and you can see the limits of that opportunity, right? So, um, you know, I think Jeff Bezos has even said I, he did a recent interview on uh, on uh, Billboard magazine. Um, and, and he was saying, Hey, voice is probably not the perfect interface for most commerce, right? Like that most commerce transactions require, uh, a level of interaction that voice isn't optimized for. So you have to pick variants and sizes and things like that. And, and it's a little bit more of an interactive process. And so Jeff's argument was for a lot of commerce, voice is too high friction and, and that he really viewed voice as being, revolutionary and game-changing for home automation and uh, consuming media and some of these other activities, um, and that there's a subset of commerce, which is predominantly replenishment, um, where voice could be really useful. And so I think the, the, the early Google Home implementation really underscores Jeff's point that, man, there are too many variables to make it really smooth when you have to specify the retailer that's going to fulfill it and the size and all these things. Um, voice doesn't feel super elegant. Um, but if you just think about that fulfillment segment that Jeff talked about, and if you think about all the, the other retailers out there that, that want to play in fulfillment, um, it's very risky and concerning to, uh, Best Buy and Walmart and Target if, the only voice platform out there that can do fulfill, uh, can do replenishment fulfillment is Amazon, and uh, that fulfillment only comes from Amazon, um, and that's the technology that gets built into every refrigerator and every smart uh, trash can and every other device in the home. Then, man, uh, you know, all these traditional retailers are going to start losing out on all that replenishment business. And so, uh, smart play on Google's part to say, "Hey, we have a voice platform." Uh, that's, that's retailer independent. And, you know, there could be a bunch of reasons that, that hardware providers would prefer to build the Google solution into their product, uh, because it is independent, unlike the, the Amazon solution, which is tied to Amazon. Gotcha. Uh, so speaking of Target, um, I have some sad news to report. Uh, we talked earlier on the show, about um, in an earlier show about some interesting innovation target projects that Target was working on, and particularly there was this this uh, I think you and I both placed some bets on what project Goldfish was that Target was running, um, and uh, I think they they uh, didn't have a great uh, earnings report for November December. I think sales were down about three percent in the stores. Um, and one of the ramifications of that is they announced that they were cutting back on some of these innovation initiatives and that, uh, included killing project goldfish, which we, we still don't know exactly what it was and closing some stores of the future that, that target was reportedly in the process of designing. Um, so that, that was a little disappointing, but then on the bright news, uh, they also announced that their e-com growth had been, I think 30%. And so, you know, again, you're seeing, uh, Amazon, Walmart, Target, you know, all up in that, you know, close to 30% growth and Comscore saying the average growth is 15%. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a bunch of other, uh, uh, retailers out there that are getting significantly less than 15% for that math to work out. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder who they are. You know, there's, there's definitely some of the, the mall based folks. I don't think their e-commerce is growing nearly and they're, they're kind of suffering across the board. Um, but, you know, you see some of these other uh, folks out there reporting pretty good growth for these micro stores. And that, that just kind of seems yep. fascinating to me, like almost like the middle class is starving out in a weird way, like the middle class of e-commerce. You know, something like this 50 to 200 million dollar band is where there's a lot of a lot of really Darwinism happening. And then if you're in the billions, you're OK. But if you're, um, you know, and if you're sub 20, you seem to be OK. But, you know, there's got to be something for all the math to work out. Everyone can't be growing thirty percent and still have e-commerce at fifteen. So, um, a little curious as to where that that's all happening. No, I I, I totally agree. It's going to be interesting to to see how it all plays out. Um, and then Target did. I don't think you mentioned this, but their same store sales for November and December, which is the the offline piece, was a decline of three percent. And I think, you know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, 
couple of different strategies. If, if your physical stores are declining, what do you do? You, ha- you need more cash to go shore that up. And I think they killed a lot of these innovation projects. But, you know, you could very easily make the argument that's the wrong thing to do because I'm not sure, you know, stores is going to be the path back to, you know, a huge amount of growth. So, yeah, so very kind of a lot of retailers are stuck making some really difficult decisions. Uh, and it'll only time will tell if, if they've kind of cut off their nose despite their face. Yeah. I feel like uh, when the family budget is tight, um, you know, cutting back on your education investment is maybe not uh, the the first place you want to look. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in in a similar vein, I feel like these retailers are going to need some innovation to figure out what the sort of post digital disruption uh, brick and mortar experience feels like, and I'm, I'm not sure we know yet. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what what Target tries in the future in that regard. Um, another, and the last piece of sort of interesting retail news I, I have, uh, on my list from, from, uh, this week is that, uh, we're, we're seeing the first retailer in a long time announce that they're preparing for their IPO, which is, uh, Jay Jill. Um, and the main reason I care about this is one of your, um, predictions in our prediction show was talking about the tight market for IPOs and how, um, uh, you you perceive that that was probably going to loosen a little bit, but not enough to benefit like pure play e-commerce sites. Um, and so I'm uh, I'll be following this Jay Jill IPO closely, rooting for it in the hopes that it causes you to lose that prediction. Okay, I'm not sure they're a pure play or not. We'll see. No, they, they for sure aren't. But I'm just saying <laughs> it, it, that that could be a uh, a leading indicator of like if if a pure if an online ret- if a brick and mortar retailer can successfully execute an IPO in this environment, um, my theory is that that probably leaves room for some pure plays to do so as well. All right, we'll see. Uh, another IPO that kind of everyone's watching is Snapchat, um, the which is now called Snap, uh, and that should actually price this week. I think they're on the roadshow this week, so maybe it prices next week. Um, and that's just a kind of an you know there isn't a huge e-commerce or retail analogy here. They do sell spectacles online, so I guess they're an e-commerce company, but that's that's tiny. But you know this is this is a big one. So this is going to be between nineteen and twenty billion. It's got kind of elements of Facebook, Twitter, Alibaba, um, that kind of a thing, where you have you know you're really buying the future of the company. They're not not um, enough revenue to justify that kind of valuation, but there is this kind of growing user base, and um, you know it's an interesting thing to kind of think: is this the next Facebook or is it the next Twitter? And uh, you know, Twitter hasn't done well in its trajectory, and it's kind of like really struggled with with kind of as a public company getting to that next level of growth. Uh, whereas Facebook is obviously continues to just crush it and hit on all cylinders. Um, so, so that's gonna be interesting to watch. Cause I think it will be, if it does come off and do well and over a period of time this year, I, I do think it will continue to kind of open that IPO window for other, other companies like the other unicorns of the world, the Deca unicorns, like the Ubers and whatnot. But then that it could, could open that window wide enough that some of those pure plays get out. Yeah, I, I totally uh, am going to be following it. And I, I think a related super exciting piece of news um, for Snap is that, you know, heretofore, the only way you could actually get those spectacles was find one of these vending machines out in the wild. And I think they just announced this week that they're retiring the vending machines and that you can now readily order spectacles from their website. So for those of the listeners that don't yet have your spectacles, uh, you, you can now get them. Yeah, those are a lot of fun. They're uh, they're really exciting to play with. The uh, so a couple of things coming up just to get on everyone's radar. So Channel Advisor Catalyst is March sixth to seventh in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Jason and I will both be at Shop Talk March twentieth in Las Vegas. Uh, we're also attending Code Commerce if you happen to go to that. Um, we're gonna Jason, you're gonna be at the Adobe Summit. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so that's a two for one. Um, Adobe's uh, annual conference is in Las Vegas the same week as Shop Talk, um, as is IBM's commerce. Uh, so if if you're in the commerce space, you should definitely be in Las Vegas that week. Um, but uh, you and I are each going to do some sessions at Shop Talk, and we're going to record some some podcasts from there. And then I'll also be doing the the retail super session at Adobe on Thursday. So if you're in Vegas for Shop Talk, stay an extra day. Um, and I think they're even going to honor your Shop Talk badge. So you can probably get into the Adobe conference, uh, see some cool stuff. And in the highly unlikely event that you haven't heard enough from me, you can uh, 
uh, hear me go toe-to-toe with my my peers at uh, our nemesis's Deloitte and uh, Accenture as we, we talk about the future of e-commerce. Cool. You guys like Jello wrestling or something? Like what? What's what's the format? I feel like I would uh, have an unfair advantage in Jello wrestling. I think it, it's going to be more a a uh, a sort of conversation of thoughts. In which case, I'm in much bigger trouble. Ah, uh, okay. Bummer. Yeah, I hate yeah. the intellectual competitions. I would prefer the wrestling. Yeah. All right. If you do the wrestling, I'm totally in. I'm not sure I can make it if there's no wrestling. I will. I'll challenge them either way. We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. That'll be fun. Um, well, Scott, this will not shock you, but uh, we have once again wasted a perfectly good hour of our listeners' time. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we look forward to seeing you at some of the upcoming events like Shock Talk. And until then, happy commercing, everyone. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.